to Peak Community Church. Our scripture this morning is from Matthew 4, the first 11 verses. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not bear your so you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Let's pray. Father, your word is a seed. Our hearts are fallow ground. Sometimes they're well tilled. Either way, Lord, prepare the ground in our hearts for your word. That it may not lie fallow, but that it will germinate, take root, grow, and bear fruit. Not only for our own lives, but for the whole world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I, uh, I sometimes fantasize about um, baseball cards for uh, Christians, like um, monks and mystics, like real weirdos, and I, because I, I'm sort of fascinated by them, and I, I think it's, well, I just think they did some weird stuff. So, like, uh, one person, she lived by a river for 60 years and never looked at it. That was like her discipline, was to never look at the beautiful river because she only wanted to focus on God. Uh, another guy, he fantasized about eating a tiny cucumber. And he was so, uh, so taken with this tiny cucumber, when he finally got one, he nailed it to the wall of his cell and stared at it so that he could contemplate his desires. Um, you've heard me talk before about the Celts and how um, they made these boats called coracles where uh, there was no, no rudder, no sail. It's just like a, it looks like a cup or a bowl that you sit in with an oar and, and you can't steer it. And it just takes you wherever you go. And so it took them, but it, it, it took them where the currents took them. And so it took them almost all to the same place, but it took them to their place of resurrection. And then there's the stylites. And th these guys are like the MVPs. They would, uh, they would stand on pillars for decades. 
Uh, there's one stylite who uh, stood on a pillar praying and praising God and his foot got infected. And, uh, and so he cut it off and so he stood on one foot and continued on praying and praising God. Um, I realize that this is maybe not the best way to introduce holiness or the Christian <laughs> life, um, but, uh, but bear with me. And it's a, it's a good intro, isn't it? I think it's good, yeah. It grabs you, you know. Um, we're, obviously, we're talking about temptation this morning. Um, but what we're really talking about is desire. And the things that we want most of all. And how our desires can sometimes go in the right direction, and then how sometimes they can veer to the side. Or something like that. Let's talk about Jesus' temptation. It's not... I don't know, when I was growing up, temptation was always like, you're tempted to do a bad thing. So like there's a guy in a corner with a trench coat and he's got tons of watches and he wants you to buy a stolen watch, you know, or something like that. Or like uh, these cartoons where these, these guys are hanging on the street corner and they're smoking and they're like, don't you want one? And so I always thought of temptation as like, wanting to do something that's bad. But what's really strange about Jesus' temptation is that Satan doesn't tempt him with anything that is inherently bad. In fact, he'll go on to do everything that Satan tempts him with. He'll go on to do at least two miracles with bread where he feeds thousands and thousands of people. So turning stones into bread isn't inherently wrong. He'll go on to be lifted up in front of everybody, just as Satan tempts him to do. And he'll go on to be the ruler of all people, of all, of all the nations, just as Satan tempts him to do. So the temptation is not to do a bad thing. The temptation is to do something in a bad way or for the wrong reason. The key to all temptation is that one word that Satan uses, it's the word if. This is Satan's like oldest trick in his book. Uh, remember in the garden, uh, everything's fine. Like it's the definition of fine in the garden. And Satan the serpent comes up and, uh, and, and all he has to say is, are you sure? Are you sure he said that? Just like that. I don't know. And there was certainty. Everything was fine. Everything was good. We knew what to do. We knew what not to do. And then Satan comes on and he says, eh, and then, you know, everything goes down. Um, this is sort of Satan's pattern. This is what Satan likes to do. And so now he comes into this situation and he says, if you are what? If you are what? If you are the son of God. That's right, if you are the Son of God. Why is that a question? So the story right before the wilderness is the baptism. Now, Jesus hasn't done anything. Jesus has not accomplished a darn thing. And now we're, we're, we, we've, we've had the baptism, and now we're, we're at the wilderness. And the significant thing about the baptism is that Jesus found out who he is. He found out that he is the Son of God. He gets into the waters. The heavens open up. The father says, this is my child and I delight in him. 
So we know who Jesus is. Jesus knows who Jesus is. And Satan comes along and says, eh, are you sure? Maybe you need to prove this. Maybe you need to do something. Maybe just a little trick with the stones or something a little bigger. And then we'll know for sure if you are the son of God. This is, this is central to all temptation, but not just that, it's central to all desire. And everything that we really need to know about desire is here. We have, we have these uh, capacious desires, roomy, roomy desires, desires that are expansive. And we're always looking for something to satisfy our desires. And it's not wrong to want. There's nothing wrong with wanting. We're made to want. We're people who should be wanting. But then we end up wanting the wrong things. This is the wisdom of these weirdo monks that I, I mentioned earlier. They're, the, their prime was for about 500 years in late antiquity and then early uh, Middle Ages. So between like four to 900 AD. And it was just like this free-for-all experimentation of spirituality. They, they had pretty good lives, nothing wrong with their lives, but then they just, they just decided we're gonna go all in. Like this isn't enough. We're gonna see what it looks like to live holy and completely for God. And we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna try everything in the book. For 500 years, we're gonna throw it all. So it might be contemplating a tiny cucumber. It might be sitting by a river and not look at, looking at it. Uh, one of their big things was sleep. And they, they realized that sleep, sleep was uh, getting in the way of their prayer and, and, and the way they felt about others and loving people and all that kind of stuff. And, and so they were trying to control their sleep. And so um, a group of them decided to not sleep laying down. They thought, you know, we're going to figure out how to sleep standing up. And so they built these closets that, you, that were so tight you could only like sleep like this because <laughs> the walls were right here. Um, uh, some of them also would hang ropes from the ceiling and they'd put their arms in the ropes and they would just hang like this and that's how they would sleep. And so, th so there's this whole massive experimentation time. And do you know what they found? They, they discovered, uh, well, they discovered a number of things. One of the, one of the things they discovered is that, um, well, let's take food, for instance. Um, food could be a detriment to your spirituality, but it could also help. Yeah, I know, I know this is like earth shattering, but what they found is that if they ate like reasonable meals in moderation, it could actually help their prayer life. Um, th this is, I, I know, I know it sounds like, I, I know it sounds crazy, but just, just kind of stick with me. The, the, the kinds of things that they came up with are the things we sort of take for granted today. Uh, so for instance, um, for the Romans, bathing was a big thing. The Romans loved to bathe. Oh, the bathing and the bathhouses. And they went crazy with their bathhouses. And so a lot of the monks would never bathe. And one, one monk, would, uh, she would brag about the only thing having ever been washed on her body were her fingertips, and that was it. Um, but then, you know, you know, what they discovered is that uh, once in a while, getting clean was actually pretty good. Um, it warded off disease, uh, this kind of thing. I'm, I'm saying all this to kind of get to 
one of the points I want to make this morning, which, which is essentially this, that, that the, the, the how, the, the technique is not that vital. There is no, we're not, we're not looking at Jesus's temptation for some sort of like magic trick on how to get our desires straight and stop wanting things that are bad for us. Stop being taken in the wrong direction. Stop giving in to temptation. There's not a magic trick to it. And the monks wanted to find it and they couldn't find it. They realized that that, it, that just wasn't, wasn't how to do it. And that, that is the situation that we're in now. And I, I, know, I, know, how, I know it sounds like... Um, I, well, so I guess, I guess the second point I want to make is this, that they also found great value in the struggle. So we can stand on this side of everything, and we, we can sort of look at the monks and we can be like, wow, those guys are weirdos. Um, but they also found that there was great value in the testing and the struggle. And sure, they may have come up with some commonplace, reasonable kinds of things, but, but it was through the struggle that they found those. So one example, I talked about these, these monks in those weird boats that would just drift in the water. Um, they ended up getting a bad reputation, these wandering monks. Benedict of Nursia would call them gyrobags, which is a, just an <laughs> awful name. And, uh, um, and, and, and because what they would do is they, they were constantly uh, dropping in on a monastery, crashing on the couch, you know, eating the food, and then they'd leave and they'd go to another one, and they were just wandering constantly, constantly. And then the Celts themselves ended up, come up coming up with this saying. They said, if you go out looking for Christ, you're never going to find him unless you take him with you in the first place. Now, that was a piece of wisdom that was hard to find without the struggle itself, without the whole process. Now, one of the things we find in Jesus's temptation that I want to talk about is, is this idea that Jesus is able to resist temptation because he knows who he is. Jesus has been told who he is. He knows who he is. He's beloved. He's a beloved son of God. Sometimes temptation is so difficult because we are trying to figure out who we are. We're trying to do something to explain our identity. So we do this sometimes with vocation, and, and this was Jesus's temptation. If you're the son of God, do this. As though his vocation could identify who he is, could, could complete who he was as a person, could say to him, now you have worth, now you have value because you've done this thing. And then all of a sudden his vocation becomes a temptation and then could then be a tool of the tempter. We do this with lots of things. Sure, we do it with vocation. We all want to have meaningful work, but our, our vocation will not be the thing that tells us who we are. We do it with family. We do it with politics. We do it with friendships. We do it with community groups we're a part of. We do it with nationality. We do it with, you know, you name that. We have all these things that we do to try to identify and name who we are instead of just remembering that when God looks at us, 
he says, that is my kid, and I so delight in that person. Again, our desires are much bigger than an electronic rectangle can match. Our desires are much larger than a year-end bonus. Our, much, our desires are much larger than an accomplishment at work or a comment from the boss or whatever. It's not that we want too much, it's that we don't want enough. And the only thing that can match these capacious desires of ours is the source of infinite desire, which is God. The example I think of uh, is sort of a modern monk, although he would, he would, he would be very uncomfortable with that um, moniker, I think. Um, there's a guy, Sandy and I knew 20 years ago, in Scranton, Pennsylvania. His name was Glenn, and he was a contractor, but he only built garages. I think just because they were easy. Um, that was his job. He had a big white beard and two yellow lines right here from cigarettes. <coughs> and uh, we were in a small group with Glenn. It was us and two other couples, um, all our grandparents' age. Uh, one guy, uh, we, we'd have pie, and then right after pie, he'd promptly fall asleep every Wednesday. <laughs> and he'd sleep the entire time in his chair every Wednesday. And Glenn would lead the Bible study. That was his thing. Um, Glenn showed me the best place in Scranton to get wings. It's the rusty nail, turns out. And um, took me fishing. He was a great guy. Uh, I found out later that Glenn had been the pastor of the church that we were attending. He and another pastor had got together and joined and were co-pastors. Uh, they joined the congregations and they became co-pastors. And they had decided that if one of the pastors ever went on, the other one would step down. And his co-pastor took a pastorate in Ohio, a nice church out there. And so Glenn stepped down, but was still a part of the congregation and just went back to building garages. You would never have known. I think someone else told us that. He never told us. You would never have known. I always wondered about his life. I, I thought, was well, he disappointed? You know, is he missing out on his calling? His great vocation. He's just building garages and eating wings at the rusty nail. Like, what kind of life is this? And then it all clicked one day for me when we were in our Bible study and we were studying the Gospels. And uh, I think it was really just he and I talking. <laughs> and I don't know if anyone else was engaged. Sandy was engaged for sure. She was right there. And uh, but I remember. Uh, I remember we came to a part in the Gospels when Jesus' humanity was sort of coming out. And, and I, I just, I made the comment, I said, you know, I just love these moments because then you get to see how human Jesus is and that he's like us. And in the gentlest but clearest way Glenn could, he looked at me through those white bushy eyebrows and um, he basically just said no. He said the best part of the Gospels is how beautiful the life of Jesus is. And I, I could just see in him somebody who was utterly satisfied knowing Jesus. 
He could love his wife. He loved his wife. He loved wings. He loved to have a beer with wings. He liked fishing. He was able to receive all the gifts God was giving him. But he wasn't constantly desperate for more because when he looked at the face of Jesus, he was utterly satisfied. It filled the deepest restlessness in his heart. The thing that he was longing for always and all the time, it was satisfied in Christ. And it freed him to receive all the gifts that God was giving him. This is a modern mystic. This is a modern monk. Again, Glenn would not be happy with that, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, And so those weirdos from the past, you know, they are weird. They are weird, but they've done us a great service. They've done a lot of experimenting to show us what it looks like to live a life of great desire. Not of little desire, but expansive desire. And to have that satisfied in Christ. As we, as we journey together through Lent, may all of your small desires, may they not go away, but may they be cleared away so that your great, deep desire can be satisfied in Christ. Amen. Lord, make us candles lit with the flame of your love. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.